0: The following is a paid program. The opinions are those of the hosts and guests, and not necessarily those of the station or its management. Welcome to iCommunicate. On full service radio, 830 WCRN. To join the conversation, call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome to I Communicate, and uh, good to have you back here for another show. My name is Mark Altman, and I am the uh, founder of Mindset Go. And at Mindset Go, we, we help people become more confident and effective communicators, through communication intelligence, emotional intelligence, and generational intelligence. With that said, today our topic is the word differentiation. And it's funny, when you think of that word differentiator, it's a word that is so critical to being successful professionally. If you think about capturing people's attention, How do you stand out? How do you differentiate and capture one's attention, right? With all the commercials and signs and email blasts and all the things that come to us, what do you do differently to get someone's attention? When you send an email to someone, what kind of subject line do you use? What do the first couple of sentences say? Do you make it about them or do you make it about you? What indeed will differentiate to capture someone's attention? And then you have standing out from your peers. If you're someone in the workplace and you're trying to advance your career and move up the ladder, what do you do to get noticed, to get the visibility, to differentiate yourself from your peers, to get the desired position? And today's show is about how do you stand out from your competition? How do you get a buyer to buy your product or service? But here's the catch, to see you personally, as the differentiator? Not the company, not the product, not the service, you. Your value proposition. Could you actually make up the difference? And what's interesting is, salespeople become very complacent and lazy at times, because if they believe in their product and service, they believe that the product or service will do all the work for them. But that's not always the case because a lot of companies have great products and services. So, you know, we talk about relationship-based selling. What does that actually even mean? There's a lot of transactional work in sales, but transactional doesn't really work anymore, right? So if it's just about the company, if it's just about the product or the service, then you may not get the deal. People, People buy from people they like who they want to do business with, who they want to have a relationship. It's a pretty simple concept, right? Now, one, one way to think about this, just to, right off the bat, just to get you on board with this concept is, you know, I get really frustrated when people use the expression, you get what you pay for. Sometimes the better products are indeed more expensive, or services for that matter. That's true. You don't always get what you pay for. Sometimes you can get a great product and service also at a better price. It is possible. But let's go on the premise that you sell a product or service that is more expensive than your competitor, and you have to justify why. And let's say for the sake of argument that that price is, we're going to say in this case, $1,000 more expensive than your competition. We're going to use that as a random number. And in this scenario, the company has done the due diligence. They've done the apples-to-apples comparisons. And the pricing is, excuse me, not the pricing, the service, the product, the features, the benefits, everything is just about even. So where do they go? If there isn't a big difference between you and your competitor's product or service, how does the company make the decision? Well, it comes down to you. So I ask you, as a consumer, if you were to pay $1,000 more for a product or a service, what would have to happen? What would make you spend the extra money? Where would the value add have to be to spend the extra money, right? How do you create greater value that justifies the decision to choose you over anybody else? Well, that's what this show is going to be about today. How do you offer up a value proposition? What are the ingredients that go into a value proposition where a customer would possibly be willing to spend extra money because of you and because of what you bring to the table? Right? So there's a lot of factors that go into this. And the first starts with your sales approach. right? What does that mean, your sales approach? One of the things I talk about when it comes to emotional intelligence and sales is again, and we're right back to the word differentiation again. What do what do prospects and clients anticipate when they anticipate an encounter with a salesperson? They often anticipate someone who's going to be pushy, agenda-driven, talk more than they listen, and take up a lot of their time. So when I say your sales approach, how are you different than the rest? What is it that you do when you interact with a customer that makes them think, well, this isn't like every other salesperson. This is someone that's pleasant. They're asking a lot of questions. They're listening. They care about me. They're putting my needs first. It's not about their agenda. So that's what I mean by sales approach. You are focused on helping the client produce better results. That's the agenda, right? Then the question is, another thing that, creates a value proposition is your depth of understanding, right? Well, what does that mean? Depth of understanding to me means you understand the systemic challenges your dream client faces, as well as the root causes of the problems and challenges your client faces. In my world, I'm in the learning development world. I deal with HR executives, sales executives, C-suite leaders, for executive coaching and high-level management training and leadership training. So what are the systemic challenges that I encounter? Well, I know what they are. You're talking about remote leadership right now. You're talking about generational engagement and collaboration in the workplace with five generations. You're talking about conflict. You're talking about change management. Those are the systemic challenges at the high level right now Currently, that a lot of my decision makers are facing. So when I go in and I talk about the depth of understanding, I'm able to convey situations, examples, solutions related to those systemic challenges. I'm able to ask certain questions to help those clients get to the real root cause of their problem. And when you talk about depth of understanding, part of adding value in someone paying more for you is you're acting as a trusted advisor. It's almost like you're on the team, you're part of the company because you're making your decision maker or decision makers look good based on your knowledge, based on your experience and understanding of the industry and their related systemic challenges. Now, being a trusted advisor having a good sales approach, having good business processes, those are all great ways of creating value. Helping your client learn something they didn't know and that may benefit them as useful. Because what you're really doing when you're creating a, um, a unique value proposition is you're teaching them how to look at a problem, think about their choices, and why they might make one choice instead of another. Now think about that for a moment. How to look at a problem, how to think about their choices, and why they might make the choice. That applies across the board. That's not a sales thing. That applies in leadership. If you have a performance problem, a behavior problem with someone on your leadership team, right, you don't want to tell them what the problem is. You want to teach them how to understand the problem, what choices they have, and why they should make the better choice. But see, the mistake we make in leadership a lot is we tell them what they should do and how they should do it instead of helping them draw their own conclusions, understand what their intrinsic motivators are to act different different, and behave different. So this... This is a key moment here about about what you're doing in leadership and sales, right? And when we come back from our first break, we're going to talk about what I think is arguably, aside from listening, we're going to talk about what I think is probably the most critical communication skills in relationships, in sales, in leadership, you name it. So we'll be right back for Mark Altman, I, and I communicate. We'll be back after the break. Nice. Good job. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate. We're talking about the most critical skill aside from listening when it comes to building relationships, and that is the ability to ask questions. And what we're talking about today is three levels of questions you can ask as a salesperson. And I have to tell you, this first level of questions, which I call logistics or commodity-based questions, is where a lot of salespeople start off in interaction. How many? When would you want to make this decision? What is your current spend? Who have you used in the past? There are questions that are asked to guide you down a path to qualify them as a customer or a prospect. They're all about you. They're all about your needs to understand where to go, if they're worthy, what solution makes sense. But see, these logistic commodity-based questions are not a differentiator. This is how most salespeople start off an interaction. So it's even more reason you don't want to start out with an interaction with those kinds of questions. Now, the second level of questions are called probing and pain center questions, right? And before I get to that, I want to make one other point about the logistics questions, right? When you ask logistics commodity-based questions, the challenges you're going to run into is it's your worst nightmare. It becomes more of a transactional conversation with a focus on price. You're not really building rapport or building the relationship, right? Right? And the customer will become bored and disengaged because they'll think you're wasting their time. So this second level question, set of questions, are probing and pain center questions. And what's interesting about the probing and pain center questions is, these are the questions, this word probing, which is often used in sales. And by the way, how funny is this? Does anybody want to be probed? I mean, talk about a word that connotates and conjures up a bad association. Um, We don't want to be probed, right? So just the word probing sets off a bad connotation. And probing means it's almost like an interview. You're pushing into the customer to try to understand their biggest fears and their biggest pains. And by the way, it is incredibly valuable to understand a customer's biggest fears and biggest pains. But there's a better way to do it than being transparent and not using subtlety when you ask a question like, what's keeping you up at night? What's your biggest problem right now? It's just, it's just lazy. It's transparent. And it's what most salespeople do. So it's not a differentiator to ask probing and pain center questions. So what I teach when I do sales training, and when I do communication training for companies, I teach the valuable skill of asking root cause insight questions or what I refer to as value-based questions, right? These are the questions that separate the men and women from the boys and the girls in sales and even in leadership. So I'm going to give you, um, going from B to C. So remember, we the logistics and commodity-based questions are important to ask, but that's not how you want to start interactions. As a matter of fact, if, if, if I'm you, I want to make those the last set of questions I ask, not the first set of questions I ask. Because by making them the last set of questions, you know, they'll be, the, the client or prospect will be happy to answer them at that point because you'll have been offered as as a trusted advisor and you will have proven your value by the time you need them to answer those logistical commodity-based questions. So when I say going from B to C, what I'm talking about is going from old school probing pain center questions to root cause, insight, value-based questions. So a pain center question, like I said before, is what's keeping you up at night? A root cause insight questions is, what changes have you made to your existing strategy over the last 12 months? And what changes do you believe you might make in the next 12 months? So there's a few benefits to asking this kind of question. One, it's It's making an assumption, a presumption that they have made changes over the last 12 months. So think about it. They don't want to say no. So when you say, what changes have you made over the last 12 months based on the product or service or industry, and they're like, geez, we haven't made any changes. Well, then you're kind of planting the seed that it may be time to look at changes. It may be time to evaluate changes. Whenever I ask the question, Like that, and someone says, You know, we don't want to fix something that we don't believe is broken. One of my responses is typically, Well, when's the last time you've evaluated an alternative? Because when someone says, We don't want to fix something that isn't broken, they don't actually know it's working, it's just safe, it's just complacent, it's just what they've been doing. So, by asking the question or proposing the question, When's the last time you've evaluated an alternative? it implies that hey, it may be working, but have you have you really compared it against anything? So, the second thing it suggests when you pose the question, what changes have you made over the last 12 months, is it also suggests that you should have already decided what you're going to do in the future. So, if they haven't evaluated changes in the last 12 months, and they haven't thought about changes they should be making in the next 12 months, it's setting up, the reason to have a conversation with you. It's setting up an opportunity for you to show your business acumen by asking questions to get them to recognize on their own things that they should be considering. And this is a huge key in communication. There's two ways to get people to buy into your to your thought process or see a perspective. One is to ask questions so they can come to those conclusions on their own, or two is to tell them what they should be doing. And as I tell people all the time about communication, when you get in a mode of telling people the right answer, what they're doing wrong, what the best way to approach something is, you sound like an authority figure. And a lot of people resent especially someone from the outside, especially someone who you don't really have a relationship with, coming in and telling what, what to do before you really understand their plight, their challenges, what they're dealing with. So there's a tendency in this question of a root cause insight question, there's a tendency to, after they answer your question about changes over the last 12 months and changes in the next 12 months when they don't really have an answer to start offering all kinds of suggestions. To me, if someone says, geez, I really haven't thought about that, I might follow up the question with, well, as of today, if you would have made changes over the last 12 months, what are some things you may have done? Or... or if you were going to make changes in the next 12 months, what are some things you would consider doing? So even if they haven't thought about it, that's okay. You can ask them, well, what would you do? Or what would you have done? And see, one of the questions about, or one of the keys about asking questions, and I say this to salespeople all the time is, it's one thing to ask a probing question. It's another thing to situationally recognize an opportunity for a follow-up or series of follow-up questions to really drive home what you're trying to accomplish through questions. And see, part of this, these, these questions is you've exposed a gap. If they haven't thought about what they're doing in the past, and they haven't taken the time to explore something in in the future, you've exposed a gap in their decision-making and thought process that could open up an opportunity for a more expansive conversation. Now, another question you could ask to come across as a trusted expert to establish value proposition is... What do you believe to be the factors that most contribute to the challenges you're facing right now? And what prevents you from doing something about them? It begins a conversation about what needs to change and why. And the what prevents you from doing something about them, that's huge because we know we're going to encounter obstacles along the way in a sales interaction. Why not learn about some of those obstacles right from the get-go? It'll, it'll have the prospect or client share their fears, share their concerns. What are they up against? It may be a CEO who doesn't think we need to do anything different. It may be a CFO who doesn't want to spend the money and hasn't budgeted for your solution or a more expensive solution. It may be that they made a previous change that didn't go well, in your prospect doesn't want to go down that same road again. So I've just given you four questions, right, that are value-based, insight, root cause-level questions. Instead of lazy, what keeps you up at night, or what's your biggest problem, we're asking open-ended, insightful questions that are going to uncover what you need to know to know eventually what solution is the best fit for them so when we come back we're going to talk a little bit more about the critical nature of asking questions and how it creates you as with your value proposition so for mark altman and i communicate we'll be back after the break Okay, welcome back to I Communicate, and we've been talking about the critical importance of asking root cause, insight, value-based questions. So I thought it would be helpful to take you through a specific scenario I encounter, so you could really understand where I'm going with root cause. So there's a question, right? If there's one thing you could change about what your current provider is doing, what would that be? And again, that's one of those B-level pain center probing questions. So I would really ask, how is your current problem hurting you? And I want to take you through an example of the three levels of getting to the root cause by asking critical questions. Because if you are in an interaction with a client or a prospect, and they tell you what they think their problem is, And after interacting with you, their trusted advisor, who's adding value, they realize that they have a much bigger or different or deeper problem, you've added value. And they're going to take away that, wow, if we work with this guy, it may be worth spending more money because of how much value this person can provide. So here's an example of a situation that I encounter when I will talk to a prospect or client and The conversation starts out with, you know, what's going on? Why am I here? Why now? What's happening that's causing me to be here? And that question of why now is a really critical question. I've spoken about it on the show before because when people have a problem, it's unlikely that they realize the problem one day and they make a call to get help about it the exact next day. Most people, when they have a problem, stew about it for a while, procrastinate solving it, depending on the severity or urgency level of the problem. But why now is a critical question from an insight-based question, because what put it over the top? If you're inquiring about sales training, why now? You've known there's been a problem for a while, so what put it over the top? What was the ultimate factor that led to you picking up the phone and reaching out to me and saying, we've got to address this right now. We've got to look into this and do some due diligence. So here's the three levels of questions when it gets to root cause, right? So if I say, why now? And they say, well, our leaders aren't getting along. Our departments just aren't, You know, communicating effectively. So my next question, and I know this may surprise some of our listeners, my next question is, so what? And I really say it like that. I say, like, I understand your leaders aren't getting along, but how is it hurting you? You know, what's the real problem? Because departmental leaders not getting along is not a problem in itself what is really the problem? How is department leaders not getting along hurting you? So then they may say something like, well, morale is low and there seems to be a lot of conflict. They still haven't answered my question. I would say, and how is that hurting you? Because morale is low and there is a lot of conflict doesn't really demonstrate why they would hire me. So then they might say something like, well, productivity has dropped off, or our engagement is suffering, or people seem like they've lost confidence in leadership, or there have been an excessive amount of complaints to HR. Well, now we're getting somewhere because a company may pay money to hire someone like me at Mindset Go if they have a real root cause problem, productivity dropping off affects the bottom line. Employee engagement or people losing confidence in their leaders, that could affect retention, uh, revenue spend in hiring. Again, it affects the bottom line. And complaints to HR uh, are taking up time. It's, a, it's another reflection of productivity and job satisfaction. So, if your departmental leaders aren't getting along, that's not enough to bring me into pay. But if you recognize the root cause of the problem, which is productivity is dropping off, our bottom line is being infected, uh, affected by poor employee engagement, lost confidence in leadership, excessive complaints to HR, now we're getting somewhere. Now this is where a lot of salespeople struggle because you'd think, right? They asked situational questions. They went to a point where they got to the root cause of why they would need my solution, my service. So now a lot of salespeople at this point would start selling. Well, guess what? You've come to the right place. Let me tell you what Mindset Go does. Wrong. You're not done. Right? Because at this point, now that you've gotten to the root cause... A lot of salespeople get happy ears, and happy ears, they become so excited that they've uncovered the pain, and they see a path to making the sale, that they stop asking questions and start selling. For me, I'm not done. What I want to know is their metrics. When they tell me productivity has dropped off, engagement is suffering, people have lost confidence in their leaders, how do you know? Do you have KPIs or metrics that tell you these things? Is it more of a feel, like you just feel this is happening and you aren't measuring it, but you can just sense what's going on? Is it based on actual observations, visual and listening observations, that you know this to be true? Is it feedback you've gotten from various levels of leadership in the organization, which again, without being metric or measured, without being metric-based or measured, also could be subjective or more emotional. So how do you know these things are happening? And, and, And listeners, here's why I want to know the answer to this question. Because I want to know how I'm going to be measured. Because if you're paying me thousands of dollars to solve significant problems for you, great, I accept and embrace the challenge. But I take that responsibility very seriously, and I want to know how I'm going to be measured. So then I might pose the question, how will you know if things have improved? So by understanding how they're measuring and becoming aware of the scope of the problem will also give me insight to know how I may be measured. And if there aren't metrics and there are improvements, how will I know? How will they know? What attribution level will they give me? So I just took you through a series of four questions and to summarize, right? Question number one, how is your current problem hurting you, right? What is the problem is question one. How is your current problem hurting you? If there is not a clear root cause, so what, how is it really hurting you? And then you might have to ask the question again, say, I understand morale is low and there's a lot of conflict, but what does that creating, what are the consequences of low morale, leaders not getting along, conflict, the consequences, the root cause are the consequences. That's what you've got to get to. And once you get the consequences, you have to know how they've measured that, how they've established those consequences and the depth of those consequences. So the reason why we're spending so much time on asking questions is because that is the ultimate way to demonstrate value. Some questions carry more weight than others. Questions that help get to people's identity, their culture, their fears, their past experiences, those are going to give you critical pieces of information. Saying something like using reflective listening in saying, it sounds like you're concerned about your leadership team. What impact is it having on them? And what do you need from us? Should you decide to work with us? Those are insight value-based root cause questions. So if you've been taught to ask probing questions, That's old school, that's rookie, surface-level stuff. If you want to get to what's really driving people to make decisions and to to invest in your products and services, you have to ask the root cause, value-based questions that make you stand out from all the other salespeople who are asking lazy probing questions like what keeps you up at night. And I have to tell you, one of the biggest compliments you can get as a salesperson And frankly, a assessment level question is when you say something that prompts the prospect or client to say, that's a really good question. No one has ever asked me that before, or that's an insightful perspective. That, ladies and gentlemen, is an indication that you helped your contacts discover something about themselves. That's when you provided value. So when you are evaluating your performance, self-evaluating your performance in a sales process, ask yourself, did I create any aha moments for my prospect? Did I help the prospect recognize the consequences of status quo? Did I increase the client's awareness of potential problems they have to the root cause of those problems, risks they face? rewards they'll experience by using forward thinking and thinking about the future. That, to me, ladies and gentlemen, is high-level salesmanship. And remember, one last thing before we go to our final break, is it's one thing to ask questions, but you can't be a know-it-all and you can't sound condescending, so the tone has to be curious, inquisitive, and reflective that's the key cuz you you can ask the right questions but the wrong tone will have an adverse impact so for i communicate i'm mark altman we'll be right back Welcome back to I Communicate for our final segment. We're talking about if people buy you, if they see your value, if you can make the difference when people are making a decision on your product or services, are you worthy enough for people to invest money, more money, because of what you bring to the table and the value you add? So, we're going to wrap up with some final key pieces to establishing your value. So, one is preparedness. And this preparedness component really boggles my mind because so many salespeople won't invest the time to prepare for their presentations or sales calls. Preparedness could represent building an agenda that includes a decision or next step. It could be making a list of questions based on what you know about the client or prospect. It could be researching their website or LinkedIn for some connecting points about the person. It could be looking at your CRM for past interactions, notes, memorable discussion points, personal or professional memorable discussion points. And see, the thing is, is it's not a question of whether you can wing it or be successful without preparedness. It's the impression you're making that when you are prepared and you understand the background of the individual, of the company, Um, of their experience in connections. It's it's putting a vibe out there that this person's invested in my success. They're willing to do what it takes to be prepared to service me as a client. So again, it's not about whether you can be successful without preparation. It's the value add by being impressionable and presenting that you are a a prepared professional. Follow through. This strikes me as so obvious, but it doesn't happen consistently. Follow through. Let, let me just make it simple. When you say you're going to do something, do you do it? Do you deliver something in the time that you promised? Do you answer a question in a timely manner? Do you set clear expectations about what's going to happen and when? Is the client or prospect ever sitting there saying, I wonder what's going to happen next, when it's going to happen, and how it's going to happen? Then your follow-through isn't great. So by having integrity and doing the things you say you're going to do, that is valuable. You can probably find any person who has ever purchased a service or product before, and they'll have at least one, if not many stories of when salespeople and customer service people broke promises and didn't follow through. So that's a big piece. And then, lastly is, are you offering advice that will help the client regardless of whether they choose your product or service? Or are you only offering advice as a trusted expert if you know they're going to use you? Because if you wait to make suggestions and offer advice to see if they're going to actually use your product or service, then you may have lost them already. So one thing I do at Mindset Go is when companies are choosing between myself and competitors, I will often give them a spreadsheet that is their criteria for the decision-making, and it's a tool I build for the top criteria in choosing a a coach, and it has an apples-to-apples apples comparison of the three vendors. So that way, it's a tool that's already built for them. I'm, I'm doing some heavy lifting, making their life and job easier, which is another reason why people would choose your services when you're making their life easier. And it's, hey, here are the keys to choosing the right executive coach. Here are the keys to choosing the right leadership or sales trainer. And then you can make the decision for yourself, but these are the best practices to know you have the right choice. Establish your knowledge and expertise and value up front. Don't hold out and do it after they've made the decision at the risk of them not choosing you. And, you know, part of the way you do that is to provide a process. Buyers have trouble buying. They often don't know The best way to do due diligence in making a decision. And so this spreadsheet I just told you about is a process. So I'm providing value by sharing a process. How should you make this choice? How should you make this decision? Well, here's a process that other companies have used that I have built so you don't feel the pressure of not knowing how to make that decision. Here's a process to know that you don't want to make this decision solely based on cost because you know deep down it isn't solely a cost-based decision. There are other factors that will impact whether this is the right choice besides cost. We should discuss those. We should understand those. That's what I mean by providing a process. Look, at the end of the day, it is really hard to be different than others. I often ask people a question when I'm doing career coaching or even sales coaching. I'll say, so what is it that you do? Is it a process? Is it a technique? Is it a strategy? What is it that you do or that you offer that no other leader, salesperson, customer service, teacher, nobody else does the way you do? And, of course, people look at me like, oh, my God, I I have no idea. I don't know what everybody else does. I don't know what makes me different. That's a problem. It's not a problem that you don't know what everybody else does. You're not going to ever know what everybody else does. But if you don't know the things that make you stand out as a salesperson, If you don't know the things that make people like you, want to do business with you, have a personal or professional relationship with you, that's a blind spot. That's a problem. Sales emotional intelligence, general emotional intelligence, is about self-awareness, knowing what it is that makes people like you, knowing your strengths, your areas of development how people perceive you relative to how you think people perceive you, your reputation, clearly understanding all aspects of your reputation. You need to be self-aware of what makes you stand out. Don't tell me that you use great subject lines that are impactful in emails unless you can tell me why you're saying it. Don't tell me you're good or bad at anything unless you have some data or feedback to back it up. When people interview for jobs, how would you do on the interview? I think I did well. And why would you say that, based on what? I don't know, it just feels like I did pretty well. They nodded their head a bunch of times, in approval. Um, They said I'm still in the running. I don't know. But when you're evaluating your effectiveness, your impact, the ability to differentiate yourself, it better be based on something. And such a critical aspect of being an effective salesperson and communicator is recognizing opportunities to ask root cause and insightful questions, but recognize opportunities when to keep on asking more and more follow-up questions to get deeper insight and understanding of what you need to know. There's no script. There's no always do this in this situation and never do this in this situation. It's self-awareness to recognize situational opportunities to know when to ask the right questions, deeper questions, and more questions. I want you as a salesperson you as, as a default, as, as easy as it has been for you to build the habit to not ever forget to ask logistic or commodity-based questions, I want you to build that same habit to make root cause, value-add, insight questions automatic as part of your process. You'll never have an interaction without doing that. That's what builds relationships. That's what allows you to stand up. That's what creates aha moments. And that's what makes a person feel like, you know, this person is different. They're not like every other salesperson I've dealt with. We're talking habits. It's always about habits. You may be listening to this show and saying, boy, he's making some great points. I love these techniques around the, the, the value add components around asking insightful questions. You have to decide how you're going to build this habit, how you're going to incorporate it into your process to make sure it happens. So that's going to do it for this episode of I Communicate. For Mark Altman, we'll look forward to seeing you next time for our next episode. Happy selling. You've been listening to I Communicate with your host, Mark Altman. Join us again each week at this time on Full Service Radio WCRN.